0: Welcome to The Road Back to You.
1: Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stabile. And I'm Ian Cron, And we're so glad that you're listening today. So tell everybody who we have on our show today.
0: Oh, man. So we have... Mike McCarg, who's otherwise known as Science Mike. And uh, he is a remarkable human being. We're going to have a ball with him. I've seen him speak. he's He's really a dynamic, thoughtful, articulate person who, you know, does has a, you know, kind of a remarkable. Mission in life, and I don't want to take too much out of his, you know, words out of his mouth. I want to get to him as fast as we can. Before we do, though, can you talk to us about nines, the mediators uh, that he's going to be talking to us about in his own experience?
1: So, nines are the number at the top of the Enneagram. They're the most peaceful number in a lot of ways. They, that might be why they're at the top. Nines are people who are laid back and easygoing, who seem to have a lot of common sense. They don't like conflict um they're really good in uh professions and opportunities for seeing two sides to things nines are uh people who merge so they're not so stuck in their own way of seeing and their own way of being in the world that they can't um really get into how other people see and um then they merge with people and just look at life their way for a while and then they find somebody else to merge with and they Go along for a while, seeing life the way they do. It's almost like that. Will Rogers used to have this saying: "I won't get this exactly right," about you have to uh, come behind a man and see the world as he sees it, or step in the moccasins of another man and see the world as he sees it. And I, I think Nines do that really well.
0: I agree, and we have some experience with Nines. We're we're both married to Nines. We are, and we both have daughters who are Nines. We do. So Mike is—he, we're ready for him.
1: Well, and you know, um, there are a lot of nines in the world, more than some of the other numbers. Yeah. There are more nines than some of the other numbers, so we are ready for him. And I'm anxious to—I'm a little intimidated about talking yeah. to a guy who does science.
0: Well, why didn't you didn't you didn't do well in science? Or
1: I, it seems big.
0: Yeah, I didn't do well in science at all. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, well let's, let's see what we learn.
2: Hope he's kind. Yeah. Hey,
0: Mike, how you doing?
2: Oh, fantastic! It's great to be here today. Hi, Mike. Hi.
3: We are delighted that Science Mike is with us today. Mike, we, um, uh, as you know, we try to talk about the world through the lens of the Enneagram, uh, among other things. And uh, we are in this series talking to people representing each of the nine personality styles or ways of seeing the world. Tell us a little bit how you may have been first introduced to the Enneagram.
2: Uh, Everyone I knew talked about it all the time. All my friends talked about their Enneagram. And I would uh, kind of take tests and they were really inconclusive. I tended to score almost evenly across all nine categories. And when I tried to look into the methodology behind the structure of the Enneagram, I found it was this ancient, you know, system and it evolved over time and I actually had a really skeptical approach. I thought Uh, that its inability to score me was indicative of its failure as a model and it wasn't until a friend of mine sent me uh, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, uh, a book that let me dive deeper into the personality types and take more tests that I was able to A, find the Enneagram had some prescriptive merit. Uh, B, had a little bit of uh, psychological research behind it, and C, that I could conclusively figure out what my number was.
3: So at that point, you found that it was um, useful and applicable to your life and that it had some validity from a you know,
2: scientific or research perspective. Yeah, that's exactly how it went down for me.
1: I wonder, Mike, about the fact that The Enneagram number is based on motivation and not behavior. And I think when it's um, talked about in a uh, narrative way or when we look at the oral tradition of the Enneagram, sometimes people are able to hear things that um, don't come through when you're taking an indicator. Do you think that happened for you?
2: Well, you know, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to explore the narrative form.
1: Well, boy, you need uh, to spend some time with us because yeah, that's what we do. That's
2: what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, you know, David Gunger said that's the only way to do it. Um, and he's encouraged me to, to try that. Luckily and unfortunately, I've been on the road so much, it's been hard to <laughs> find a chance to do it.
1: Well, I, well, you know, we'd happily spend eight hours with you anytime you'd like to hear us talk for that long.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on.
3: Yeah, we'd love to. So we're, today we're talking about Uh, Your number, which is nine, the peacemaker or the mediator. And, uh, you know, my wife is a nine.
1: My husband's a nine.
3: So we know nines. I got a daughter who's a nine. I
1: got a daughter who's a nine.
3: So we're all about the (laughs) nine. It's a good number. It's a great number. Can you tell us a a little bit about the nine
2: from your perspective? Uh, I'm a nine. I'm a peacemaker. I like to find people, people. help people find their best selves, find a place of personal satisfaction and fulfillment that's right for them and their reference frame. It means I lean um, towards a sort of relativism. Uh, My main concern is helping people find uh, a healthy point in their context, not guiding them towards some absolute truth or absolute best way of living. It means I am very averse to conflict and that for most of my life, I've struggled to find or understand my own personality because I tend to change the expression of my personality dramatically and radically based on my context. So um. if I'm with someone who's very intellectual, someone who's not very emotional, I tend to mirror that part of their personality. Whereas if I'm with someone who's very emotionally expressive, uh, I tend to be very emotional. Uh, around people who have very dominant personalities or are driven to um, unhealthy conflict or anger, I tend to be very um, submissive. I tend to do whatever it takes to appease their anger, uh, to maximize peace. And so the more recent evolution in my life, the change in the last few years, has been learning to express some confidence or some certainty about the things I believe, irrespective to what those around me believe.
1: Wow, that is so great. One of the things that's true about the Enneagram is the best part of us is also the worst part of us. Would Mm -hmm. you say that seeing two sides to everything is the best part of you, but also maybe the um, not always a great part of you?
2: (laughs) I've never heard it phrased that way, but you're describing my life really well.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I love you know that your thing is trying to reconcile uh, or mediate a conversation between uh, two poles that people tend to think are completely opposite, right, or in opposition to one another: faith and science. And uh, to me, that brokering that conversation is so in line with the gifts of a of a nine, right? Taking those seeming opposites and, and finding the ability to harmonize them. is that? Tell us a little bit about your work and, and how being a mind is so helpful
2: for you. Well, my work is born out of my journey. Uh, I grew up in the church. I was a Christian, uh, a Southern Baptist no less. Uh, and as I, I grew up, I started to question a lot of the theological assumptions that I grew up with and ultimately questioned all of them. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I became no reason an atheist. In the middle. Yeah, no reason. So I, I became an atheist and was an atheist for a few years. And then I, I had this crazy mystical experience and ended up coming back to faith. But I, I found this incredible point of frustration after having been both a Christian and an atheist. And that was that these two groups, when they talked about each other, they talked past each other and they misrepresented each other. And what I found was that Christians were people who love God, love others, and try to leave the world better than they found it. They, they're trying to really improve the world through their actions. They're, they're good people. And even as an atheist, I still understood that. But when atheists talk about Christians, they tended to talk about people that were close-minded, that were judgmental, that were racist, or homophobic, or whatever. And it didn't max, match my experience with real Christian people. But on the other hand, Christians would do the same thing about atheists. I found an atheist that there were people who loved the universe. They loved a sense of wonder about creation, about the miracle of life. Uh, They loved people and they wanted to leave the world better than they found it. Exactly like my Christian friends, but Christians speak about atheists in ways that don't reconcile with my experience with atheists. So having been through this experience through faith and doubt, And being a nine, I have this this unstoppable compulsion, this irresistible pull to help these two audiences see each other and understand their commonality in a way they have not before. And in my recent exploration of the Enneagram, I've understood that comes down to the fact that I'm a nine, that whatever possible, I like to help people make peace with each other and be reconciled.
1: Mm It's fascinating the gifts that nines have for that. One of the things you talked about was loving God and loving others. How do you think the Enneagram helps you love others?
2: It helps me understand the ways I am best suited to love others. It lets me lean into my strengths, but it also lets me find my blind spots. It lets me actually be more patient and more accommodating with people. When I understand that I'm averse to even healthy conflict, and that healthy conflict actually produces intimacy, that it actually strengthens relationship, that insight lets me take intentional actions to explore and experience healthy conflict when necessary to mitigate some of the weaker or more difficult aspects of my personality. And that's an insight I never would have found without the Enneagram. Oh my gosh,
3: man, man. oh man. that was so well put. And we've had a couple of experiences here on the show. You know, we, Suzanne and I could easily sit and just kind of blab out a list of traits of different numbers, but there's just nothing like having the number on the show. The person who incarnates that particular personality style speak about it themselves as beautifully as you just did. I, I have a question for you. My wife's and nine, and um, you know, she doesn't assert herself into the world. She doesn't really think that her presence matters. Um, can you identify with that? And like, like what, what did that look like for you as a man if, if it was present in your life?
2: Yeah, that was most of my life. Uh, even after I had this, this I, I mean, it's a long story. There's no time for it on the show, but I had this incredible experience where I felt like a net god on the beach. And I told a few friends simply because I was so astonished and it, it, it produced such spiritual and emotional healing in my life. But I didn't want to tell anybody else because my perspective was, who am I to say anything?
1: Oh, um, that's so who nice. am
2: I to so say nice. that my story is more important than anyone else's? As beautiful it was to me, I was very hesitant, very reticent to take it to a larger scale. And it literally took a half dozen really close friends being very persistent with me for six or eight months to say your story was a gift, it needs to be shared. Your movement through faith after that is a gift that was not just meant for you, but was meant for other people. And it's selfish for you to hide that gift, to to keep it just for yourself. And I've had to, I actually had to go to therapy. And work through some shame issues and some imposter syndrome in order to find that voice to be comfortable with starting to say, this is what happened to me. And even though I'm very careful in my story to not be prescriptive, to not say, you should believe this way, you should do that. Even that act of simply saying plainly, this is what happened to me, and you may benefit from it in some way, came very, very difficult for me. But I'll also say that after doing that, it has stretched and grown my personality. A lot of people who know the Enneagram now, when they meet me, they think I'm a three
3: because oh, I've learned that's, good. How, oh, that's a good sign.
2: <laughs> I've learned how to to say what I believe and say it confidently, and that has created a trajectory in my life that looks like I'm trying to achieve. But what's actually happening? is I have found a methodology that makes my peacemaking efforts successful.
1: So, Mike, I um, wouldn't say that science is my strength, so I'm afraid I'll not have another chance for a long time to talk about science on our show. <laughs> and when I, I uh, talk about nines on the Enneagram, I say that an um, important part of uh, uh, nineness is the theory of inertia. So body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest, Right. And uh, would you say that, uh, this is an accurate statement, that when you are a body at rest, you're fence sitting because you haven't decided yet in order to avoid conflict, would that be accurate about you?
2: Uh, A million percent accurate. Uh, I've never heard that phrase before. That's a little um, uncanny and unsettlingly accurate (laughs) about me. Uh, and it, 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 it cuts both ways. So I, I'm, I work a lot now. You know, I do two podcasts. Uh, I'm just finished a book, but I write for several publications. I travel all the time and I'll get done with a long segment of travel. Uh, I'll have a lot of work to do, but I'll be very tired and I'm always afraid to rest because I found if I take one day off, I want to take seven days off.
1: Exactly, uh,
2: but as long as I keep moving, it's effortless to keep moving. Starting and stopping are the hardest things for me to do.
1: Exactly,
3: man. That's that's the story of my my life at home. How about you, Susan?
1: Me too. You know, one of my favorite lines about nines is um, that they start off slow and then they taper off. <laughs> <laughs> I always get pretty excited about uh, my nines kind of getting going and then they taper off. Um, there's one more thing I want to ask you about. I want to know. If that's I
2: true. do want to say that's a box we can get out of.
1: Absolutely. And once with once we grandma, find the
2: way out of that box, uh, it's almost difficult to settle back into that pattern. And the only time I settle back into those patterns are in times of real trauma or grief. Um, late last year, uh, in rapid succession, my grandfather died, my dad had a stroke, and I had a motorcycle accident. And that state of grief and anxiety, it it, it took that ascendant three away, and I, I settled back into a nine pattern for several weeks. Uh, but other than that, I I couldn't stay there too long because having having tasted life uh, with action and seeing that leaning into and that conquering that fear of conflict, what it can accomplish in the world—it's a—it's a call that's difficult to resist once you've tasted it.
1: Oh, that's so helpful. Um, we've been doing some conversations around uh, the enneagram and grieving. Maybe in the future we can do a show and you'll come on and talk some more about mm-hmm. that with us.
2: I'd love to.
3: Hey, um, Mike, I was just thinking about you being um, a person who's uh, so well. Is so fluent in the world of science and faith, and there's a great quote by a statistician named George Box. Do you know Do you know George Box at all? I don't. So he has a, a wonderful quote that's so helped me with the enneagram. I I don't know if it'll resonate with you, but he he said that all models are wrong, but some are useful. And I, you know, for me and you know my own life because I have a background in in counseling. And so things like you know, measurable data and research and validation of psychometrics, all that kind of stuff, does matter to me at some level. Um, but I love that idea that, you know, inherently all models are wrong. If you took college economics, we all know that, you know. But some are useful. And and I'm wondering if for you, uh, as you sort of deal with something like the Enneagram, which doesn't have this sort of scientific validation, based on large sample sizes and lots of work. It, if that's been your experience,
2: or why not? Well, I've heard that quote. It's one of my favorites. I didn't know its source, so thank you for that. Um, I would say that all models have varying accuracy mm-hmm. that roughly correlates with their usefulness. Uh, that's So good. the standard model of physics is a very high fidelity model of reality with known limitations that's incredibly useful in the correct Mm contexts. So if you're trying to predict what a photon is going to do, you really can't do better today than the standard model of physics. But if you try to use the standard model to predict what a planet orbiting a star is going to do, you're going to fail miserably. You're taking a model that's accurate in one context and based on data, and projecting it into a scale where it's no longer relevant. So what I have found is the Enneagram as a tool for personal introspection and as a tool for exploring the dynamics of personal relationships is a phenomenally useful construct. It's a great way to explore subjective reality, personal experiences and relationships. It's less useful at very, very macro scale, you know, socioeconomic, sociological projections uh, and, and so it's kind of a it's kind of a standard model of personality, very useful at the small scale, the individual and groups of individuals, less useful if you try to project it across societies.
1: So well said. So you have a book coming out in September 2016, Finding God in the Waves. I'm looking forward to that. And for our listeners who might not know how to spell McCard, let me say that. Mike, M-C-H-A-R-G-U-E dot com. Science Mike.
2: And the easiest way to find me is actually to just go to Uh, AskScienceMike.com AskScienceMike.com Yeah, everybody can spell Science Mike and that'll take you to my most popular podcast as well as take you to all my other work as well. Great. And of
3: course, we have a shared friend in uh, Michael Gunder.
2: Oh, love Michael. He and I co-host the Liturgist podcast together. That's
3: right. That's right. We are so grateful um, to have your voice on with us today. Uh, You're part of a long now storyline of Perfect spokespeople for a particular
1: number. Yeah, I'm just going to spend the rest of the day saying, "Yeah, I, I spent the morning talking with Science Mike about the science."
3: You know, I have to say that I don't think I understood a word he said about the planets, but I felt really cool that he presumed I did.
1: Yeah, I, I understood it all.
2: Oh, I can't wait to hear the whole series. It's
1: going to be thanks fabulous. so much, Mike. Thanks, we Mike. appreciate you.
2: Thank you. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Holy smokes! Did you? I mean, could you believe how great an example of a nine that was?
1: No, and you know, I've always thought that the Enneagram is a common language that we can all speak. So I'm kind of just relaxing into the fact that I just had a conversation with science guy, you know, Mike the science guy. Science, science Mike. Science Mike. Yeah, it's like, okay, I did the scientist thing today. Yeah, He was so great. Everything he... he Talked about to me was here, and here are both sides, and here are both sides of that, and here are both sides of that. So I guess they're well suited for non-dual thinking.
0: Mm. I was thinking about how uh, Riso and Hudson from the yeah. Enneagram Institute they they described nines as being typically spiritual seekers who have a great yearning for connection with the cosmos. Oh wow! As with other people. That's. Cool. And here's a guy who's you know talking to us about planets and. You know, I mean, that that to me is just, again, I'm like, well, there you go. There it is.
1: I also love the fact that we so often hear stories of people who have gone away from the church mm-hmm. and come back, and the Enneagram helps them tell that story.
0: That's unusual. I hadn't even thought about that. We've heard that a couple of times. Yeah. Well, we got more people
1: coming up. Sounds good. Mm. It's so fun doing this. It's a blast. Yep. Bye. See you later. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram.
0: Produced by our pal Jim Chafee and engineered by Brad Bass.
1: Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Laurie Chaffer.
0: Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and information on our public appearances around the country.
1: And you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com.
0: And join us next time with author and speaker Shauna Niequist. She's a rock star and a good friend. You'll enjoy it, I promise.